Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of Meta Strategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Gary Hoberman. Gary is the founder and chief executive officer of Uncork, a no-code application platform that helps large enterprises build complex custom software faster with higher quality and at lower cost than conventional approaches. Prior to Uncork, Gary spent 24 years helping top financial institutions bring transformative solutions to market, and he was most recently the executive vice president and co-chief information officer of MetLife. In this interview, we discuss an overview of no-code, why the metrics that gauge success or lack thereof for IT departments are flawed, and how companies need to reward their technologists based on the value they achieve rather than being on time and on budget. We also discuss why Gary left the CIO ranks, and we cover his advice for others looking to do the same and to start their own companies. Lastly, we discuss why Gary believes that you can always improve a big company, some of the groundbreaking things Uncork has done with large enterprises, and a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. One of the joys of Zoho is the opportunity we get to share our practices with our customers. I know a lot of CIOs are working on productizing their technology to create new revenue streams for their businesses. Many are in the midst of migrating to the cloud. We'll be delighted to share our experience of building over 100 SaaS products on our cloud and supporting over 55 million users. COVID-19 has helped pressure test us. As you know, Peter, we have traditionally set up offices away from cities like Pleasanton in California, Del Valle in Texas, Utrecht in Netherlands, the village of Kawane Hancho in Japan. When I opened office in Australia, we decided to open not in Sydney or Melbourne, but in Byron Bay, a small beachside town near Southern Cross University. And on the first day of opening, a customer from Italy who was vacationing on the beach knocked on the door of our office wanting to meet us and also change his license plan. We have been able to support our customers with our employees working from villages. Now we have taken the success of that move and have started building smaller offices in rural areas. Seven of these are already built. If you need support or talk to us about how we go about building SaaS products, or even how we are doing with the rural move, please call us. And maybe hopefully soon one day, you too will knock on the door of one of our offices like the Italian customer did. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Gary Hoverman, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you, Peter, for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Well, so Gary, I I thought we'd begin with uh, your company. You are the founder and chief executive officer of Uncork, a no-code enterprise application platform that uh, that you founded, the company you founded uh, roughly three and a half years ago. And I thought we'd begin with uh, with a bit of an overview of the company to talk a bit about Uncork and and its uh, you know where you are in the evolution of that organization. Yeah, so Uncork is the first and really only enterprise-grade no-code platform out there. Um, as a former CIO, I could tell you it's the dream every CIO has had in the past 30 years. 
And it's the first time it's actually here in material and physically here. I, I love, someone told us we're actually selling magic because it's what they've been dreaming of the whole time. And it's really who we are as a company. Um, I founded the company in April, 2017 with the most incredible leadership team who's been with me this entire journey. And it's amazing to go from zero, you know, one employees to two employees to 230 employees within just a short time frame. Um, and really, it's amazing to see the entire world be able to be changed in the way I hoped it could as a CIO without all the barriers and limitations that technology has put in way of our focus and drive forward. Talk a bit about the concept of no code. Um, for those who might be less familiar with it or perhaps just dipping their toe in the water, talk a bit about its power. Sure. So, um, look, I'm a hacker by background. It means like everything from the Fortran, Pascal, VIC-20 basic to assembler coding was what we did. And I think in every language you did, people created functions and reusable components and then object-oriented concepts and ability to call, call things remotely from Corbett to skeletons to stubs to every aspect of APIs and everyone breaking apart a problem to say, how do I make it something more digestible, reusable, easier to build, faster time to market, faster time to support. And up until Uncork, everything I just described involved engineers, coders, thousands of lines of code, millions of lines of code, and lots of tools that always promise this ability to move faster and failed. From every major software vendor that I could think of as a CIO I had to work with, even after spending millions and millions of dollars through the custom coding that you hire engineers to do, whether it's onshore or offshore. So, so no code itself as a concept to us is a little different than others define it. We've created the category. It didn't exist before. No code and low code were grouped together. The way I would define low code in the existing categories as everyone's known it is accelerators to generate more code faster. It's accelerators to enable an engineer to move slightly faster to generate more code that still has to be supported, maintained, and patched and versioned with all the same security risks, all the same data. And many of these low-code, no-code solutions out there are basically playing in a niche spot like workflow or rules or integration. And no one's playing in the entire enterprise spot like us that we need. So no-code itself to us means, number one, we don't allow our customers to override or inject any scripting or code whatsoever, which means Goldman Sachs is on the exact same version of software as Maimonides Hospital is running. It means benefiting each other, which I'll talk more about later. It also means that we don't actually believe we should generate code and we generate zero code. So we basically built the highest performance interpreters, client side and service side, Client side, replacing the need for any user experience tools, workflow tools, rules engines. Server side, replacing the need for any integration frameworks and integration tools, workflow tools, rules engines, document generation, document signing, or anything else you can imagine. And we basically built these interpreters to interpret a brand new concept we have of how to create software without code. Not needing an engineer, although some engineers are the best creators in Uncork that we have. We have thousands and thousands of creators certified and trained. But the idea is basically empowering someone who doesn't know how to engineer solutions to not need to worry about anymore what does it mean to be an enterprise-grade solution versus maybe the end-user computing solutions they've been doing today and segregating that duty very clearly. 
And you, you talked about some of the, uh, you, you gave your example of uh, how the code applies in very different industries with different sized organizations and the, the, the benefits that are achieved. Um, would love to dive in a little bit further into that. Sure. I mean, if you think about when I've only, my career has been in Fortune 50 companies. I was global CEO, MetLife with 10,000 developers and spending a billion to a year through Citigroup, where I was one of the youngest managing directors in ops and tech, driving and influencing $8 billion to spend at that point. And so when you think about what companies face, it's a very interesting concept. It's There's no shortage of business ideas. Never. Businesses have ideas how to generate new products and revenue and money. They have new, they're hearing from their customers. They wanted to drive faster. The challenge is that always materializes back into a budgeted project with constraints, with deliverables, with requirements. And no matter what solution you use, whether it's um, a methodology like an agile or waterfall, which neither work well, the reality of it and what I came to the conclusion is businesses actually don't know what they need until it's in production and in their hands. It doesn't matter what you do. And the reality is that's because businesses have, they're not clairvoyant. They can't see the future as to where is it going, what the regulations change, what changed since. I think the small business loan application that just came out for helping our economy grow after this pandemic and during the pandemic, perfect example, no technology but Encore could adapt to the requirements that were not known as fast as we can. And every bank out there right now and every government agency is struggling and struggling to basically keep up with the changes. And they're doing what most people do is they solve it with operations and people and manual processes instead of technology. So, you know, when I left the world, Peter, like I left the world of enterprise because I kind of felt I was becoming a lawyer more than I was becoming a technologist. So my view of technology, going back, I'm a hacker. I, I generate solutions. I'm able to actually create something from nothing using code. Um, from that perspective, it's an amazing ability to be able to generate value out of thin air. And then when you think about the way technology got measured, and I used to sit on the trading floor building trading systems next to the business before the CIO function existed. And what basically happened was a few things I started to see. Number one, as a function, we need to be an operational support function. And technology, as you know now, is no longer a support function, but it's a driver of the business and has to be. And technology leaders need to recognize that. Number two, the measurements and metrics we use to see how well we do as technologists are completely flawed in every respect. So the two metrics that board, direct, board of directors see are on time and on budget, reflected in a green, yellow, red dashboard. Traditionally, everywhere I've seen, every company I've seen, they mean nothing. On time and on budget has no bearing on, did the business case prove out? Did you generate value? The gains that I would personally see being taking effect to make those lights go from red to green, I called them rebaselining, I think was the official term, basically hid all the inefficiencies of a technology organization to the point that if you step back and say, hey, we're spending billions a year in technology and some banks have 50,000 technologists, just step back and ask the question, what value are we getting from it? What's the value we're getting? If we're purchasing software licenses for a CRM function or an ERP function, What's the value we're actually attaining or getting from that dollars? Is it worth it? And so I basically found myself more justifying decisions and going to the business and saying, yeah, I know we delivered that and you're not happy and it's red and we're late and we're over budget, but you signed off on the requirements and you keep changing the requirements. And let me show you every change request. And you basically become like a lawyer in court defending your team's position 
And instead of you're a shareholder of the company, you own the same number of shares as the business leader. You care about the customers as much as they do, if not more. So like, what's the problem here? The problem here is code. The problem here is engineering and code that basically is stopping us from achieving what we need to do, which is deliver business value. So I would, Peter, my measurement was when I'd finish a project, I would call the business leader and just ask, how do we do? Are you getting revenue? Are you reducing expenses? One of those two levers has to be pulled. And not on time and on budget means nothing because you deliver something on time. Great. You know, the furniture arrived on time when the delivery truck said it would. It's the same cost you saw it in the store. But when it appears, it actually looks nothing like what you expected in your room. Suddenly it's too big or too small or too hard or too soft. And you want to change it. And the problem with software is you can't change it. It's fixed. It's an asset. You can't move it. You can't. So as soon as it arrives, it's done. And just from a spend point of view, all I kept seeing was more and more spend with less and less value, less and less output. And unfortunately, we also see technologists, and there's a few CIOs we work with as clients who are incredible leaders, visionary leaders, some of our first clients and many that we talk publicly about, just unbelievable technology leaders. And I've known them as peers before, and I knew they would be great clients for us. Unfortunately, there's a lot of technologists out there who are in a position of power based on the number of people that report to them and the number of spend that they're managing. And what that means is cover your ass, basically, excuse the expression, but let's do RFPs and RFIs that mean nothing so someone else can make a decision. Let's bring a research group in to basically show us what products are best in class based on others' feedback and review. And we're going against that entire picture that I just described there. And um, basically from a very optimistic perspective, we walk in and say, look, what problems do you have? Let's just solve your problems. No predictive value. We'll, we'll, you pay us when we solve it. Different concept, different value from that perspective completely. I know from our, our preparatory conversation, Gary, you also uh, uh, um, disagreed with the, the common shibboleth that uh, uh, fiefdoms matter, that the more people you have reporting to you, the, 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 the bigger your responsibility, the more, the more important you are as, as, as an archaic way of thinking. And I, I'm hearing the, the rationale behind it, but I'd love to have you peel back that, that, that onion a little bit further as well. Yeah, I'll, st- I'll step back. And I, what I believe is first thing we need to change in technology is um, reward your technologists at every level based on the value they achieve. So the bonuses should be based on delivery and output. It shouldn't be based on on time, on budget, or writing code. We should eliminate the entire word developer. Developer should never be a title in a single company in the world because developer is someone that's hired to write code. Engineers required and hired to write and build solutions. And engineers, the best engineers, first thing I would do as an engineer was look to see if someone already solved this so I don't have to because I need to do something better. I need to figure out what's the next step. And that's why we we view on Quark as the ultimate solution to empower engineers to focus on new algorithms and ways to write code that no one's ever dreamed of before to move their business forward instead of what I would call flipping burgers in McDonald's today and putting a slice of cheese on a patty. Um, And so from technology point of view, every aspect, we literally bonus should be based on, did the company get value from the investment? Did you make the right decision based on value? Not based on how many people report to you not based on the quantity of people. So I had a CIO, not a client of ours, a CIO of a major investment bank tell me, this is awesome. Uncork is going to change the world. What are my 10,000 developers going to do tomorrow? And that is, we basically had one meeting with that CIO and we scratched them off and we'll never meet again. 
doesn't matter what they do when they reach out, we won't interact until that CIO is replaced. And that's the way we view the world. So, so it's really interesting. So um, we think technology itself and technology leaders have to have a seat at the business table. To get that seat, you actually need to understand the business better than the business does. You need to know where the business is going. And you need to be able to build your reputation on delivery and execution and excellence versus build it based on a budgetary spend and keeping it at that level when it doesn't need to be and keeping the developers and the engineers at a level which doesn't make sense and keeping your vendor spend in a way which is rewarding vendors versus rewarding your shareholders. Company. Very interesting. And so I'd be, you, you've begun to reflect a little bit about how your time as a technology leader uh, versus a managing director of operations and technology at Citibank as the co-CIO of, of MetLife, the, the ways in which those experiences uh, oriented your mind towards the creation of Uncork. And, and I'm curious, I mean, in some ways, what you, it, sound, it sounds as though perhaps there was a bit of a hybrid of the old way of doing things in those roles and, and the recognition and realization and no doubt maybe uh, turning some of those organizations towards this new reality you've described. Um, but I'd be curious, like, what, what was it about your time as CIO um, that you believe enabled you to become an entrepreneur? It's still a path. Thankfully, it's a path that's gaining some steam. There are a number of, of uh, esteemed former chief information officers who founded their own businesses now. Uh, and hopefully it's one that there'll be more people that are going down the path that you've set. Uh, but curious about what advice you would have for those who believe they've got a bit of an entrepreneurial bent to currently hold the CIO role as to ways in which they might, uh, you know, sort of facilitate that. Yeah, no, it's a great question, Peter. And so I, I definitely come from a family of entrepreneurs. So my father had his own publishing business, which is why I got to play on punch card machines in fifth grade and deck mates in sixth grade and TRS 80s in seventh grade in his office. And I did my 10,000 programming hours probably prior to high school even began. Um, so, so I come from that. My brother has his own business longer than I have. And my sister has her own law firm and business entrepreneur longer than that. So I was the newest entrance in that space, let's say, for my family. I expect my kids are all going to go down the same route. I, I think it's in the blood. But, uh, but specifically around you know, what it takes, I always viewed when I enter, entered Wall Street and technology, I viewed... A goal is, could I improve my department using technology? And then could I improve my division? And then could I improve my company? And I created solutions. So um, in City, I had six patents. Um, I patented and got granted a patent, which was basically ETL before any ETL software was out there. I got a patent on a single approval solution to make one approval basically a reality, which is doesn't matter what system, what you're doing, there's one way to approve something, one inbox. Um, I created a patent on a brand new e-commerce solution in 2006, which became the way City is still running today, their engines. Um, so I've always had that ability to say, well, what's unique and different, innovative? In MetLife, my patent that I created was something called Infinity, which won Digital's PR Week Gold Award when Amazon Kindle took second to us and Sony took third. So um, I've always done it. I always believe that within a big company, you can improve the company. And within a Fortune 50 company, as I've always worked, you can improve the world. What a concept to be able to do that. And so, so you know, the conclusion I came to was companies can't get out of their own way. You know, there's too much bureaucracy. There's too many wrong metrics being measured. There's too little interest to fix it. And there's too much keeps things status quo. 
Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of, and unfortunately, the only times companies change that I've seen is when leadership changes with it. And, and it's why we categorize customers, Peter, as customers pipeline and they've confused waiting leadership change. And there's a lot of customers we put into this confused waiting leadership change bucket and they always come back and it always happens when leadership changes. And we've seen it time and time again. We are sometimes the first solution a CIO brings into their company when they start. And that's what we want to be. Um, so, so, so with that, that's basically what I've seen. Recommendations for CIOs who are going to go an entrepreneurial route is, you know the business problems better than anyone else. You know what's wrong. You know what's out there. You know where to fix it. You know how to fix it because you've been living through it. You know, start with trying to fix it in your own company before you leave. So you understand what you're going to see as resistance when you do leave. So that's really what I saw was everything that I was experiencing as an employee, we are experiencing outside in. We know the politics. We know some of the, I'll call, um, tactics to stop innovation, no different than an antibody invading the body. And so, so from that point of view, you know, there's um, a lot of recommendations out there is understand, um, Peter, when I made managing director, you know, I'll never forget being initiated into managing director at a very young age and being told, you like, don't make decisions anymore because like you're, you now speak for the company and you should not take any risk. And I stopped and I said, bullshit, like that's, that's exactly the opposite. And this is, you know, major bank on wall street. And I'm like, as a MD, I, I should be able to make decisions that empower people and empower leaders and create new leaders. And I should be seen as a role model for them. And it's one of the reasons why I left the company. At that point, it was, you know, like, it's just it's the wrong mentality. But I think it is the mentality that people have been living by, which is don't change anything. Things are great. I think what we're living now through the pandemic and this crisis is going to change the way we work, function, deliver. Um, on Corp's business during this time has been incredible as we help our public sector, as all digital teams in banks need us more than they've ever needed us before. So it's just an incredible journey from that perspective. So again, you know, you know the problem. If you don't know the problem, don't leave. Stay where you are. Learn the problem. If you haven't tried <laughs> to fix it where you are, don't leave. Try to fix it to understand the resistance you're about to face in the world. Uh, one of the other things I will tell you is no matter how much you spend with software providers and people, you have to quickly identify who's uh, there for you as a friend and a mentor and will be there and support you versus which companies were there because you were the approver of their budget. And they're quarterly meeting their quarterly goals. So uh, that's as probably as real as I possibly can make it for anyone out there right now. That's really great. Your organization has grown really fast in a very small amount of time. I believe you've raised $160 million uh, through your Series B, um, through multiple rounds, now through your Series B round. And uh, um, so where do you see where do you see the organization growing? How do you see using the capital that you've raised in order to propel that growth forward? Yeah. So, so number one thing, and you'll start to see more and more of this from us, is um, we are, through our delivery, of course, dozens and dozens of customers, disproving one simple point, which is no code is for simple apps. We are building with Encore derivative systems, trading systems, FX trading systems. We're building um, onboarding solutions for banks, for loan processing, for account opening and KYC, where no technologist has ever done it before. We're seeing $100 million spend projects in a bank 
being stopped and we're able to deliver it at a tenth of that or a fraction of that and not just deliver it but commit to delivery and not get paid till it's delivered that's kind of what one of the role models we decide to take on if it's a big challenge so number one thing is going to be like we see our solution is the only solution out there to build every enterprise software going forward and replace every technology that's known there today from the software vendors to the enterprise engineers who are creating um, big Macs every day instead of creating artful new algorithms, which is what they should be. Um, so we're investing in a platform that enables the business to be more and more at the front seat. And the reason why we say business is because the business knows what needs to be done. No telephone game, no translated to a Word document to be interpreted into a document and sprints and stories and ethics and requirements documents. It's The business knows what needs to be done and they should be able to actually do a lot of that by themselves most of it by themselves and do it in a way where the system that's running is secure, reliable, scalable. The city of New York that we launched with and has been in the news using our suite of tools for COVID response from delivering meals through tracking cases is tested and handled for 20 million people. I mean, that's no public sector software custom built by any one of the large providers has ever done that or could do that. We've been able to show banks that we can run a million transactions per minute, per instance, on limited instances that come up and down without any issue, which means we could be a high-speed trading system where no other technology could ever do that. And we could also show you that every need from CRM to ITSM to ERP could be done in Uncork in hours. Building a mortgage app in a few hours or a CRM app for an investment bank in a few hours from scratch. You know, And so a lot of what you'll see we're investing in is basically is proving all the beliefs that have been false out there, all of the negativity, we've tried this before and it didn't work, all of the beliefs around uh, this will be business gone wild is what we hear. Because reality is even empowering the business to build applications, we built an entire role-based access control from scratch that enables technologies to still remain control over their change application boards, review process. We built a, built a versioning system that's equivalent to any version control or better out there that visually shows you what changes, who made what, when to what, and basically able to roll back within one click instead of the traditional, I've seen this myself, a rollback of a software package is like a biggest guess game ever. We think we could roll it back, let's spend eight hours trying and then we'll just commit to moving forward in a big enterprise. And on Quark, there's no more code, there's no more delivery generation, there's no more deployment in essence. So all of those conversations go away that everyone knows today from ITSM or not. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of what we would view. We're expanding into markets. We are live now in our first hospital and healthcare system. We're exploring life sciences and hired one of the top leaders in life sciences. We are live in public sector in multiple of the biggest cities in the world. And we are live in real estate technology. We are exploring other sectors like media, telecom, of course, banking and insurance and financial services and capital markets and asset management are predominantly where we built our reputation on. And with that, it means that we can work within highly regulated, regulated markets. So, you know, everything from the SOC 2 type 2 privacy shield GDPR compliant that you need to be from that perspective. Um, and Peter, one of the coolest things that happened last week was um, as a a hacker and engineer like slash dot or slash dotted was a term which basically means someone called you out. So we always wondered how long it would take us to be slash dotted by hackers and said, this is bullshit. 
And so there was a slash dot last week quoting the CNBC article that came out saying Uncorked CEO says they're 200 times faster than any engineer, um, which is what we're seeing. We could we could literally produce that, and that's what we see. Um, and so it was one of the top stories on Slashdot, and about 205 comments quickly poured in. Everyone talking about we've heard this before, and it was Delphi, and it was Visual Basic, and Power Builder, and data tables, and data arts, and this, and you know. So I did what no CEO probably would do is jumped in and created an account. And I said, guys, I'm CEO of Encore. I'm the guy you're talking about. I've coded in every language you've talked about above. I know every algorithm that you're referring to. I know every concept. And very simple, this is the first solution. And I'll prove it so much that I will personally drive a live demo to you. And you could ask questions and build it along the way. And we did a webinar last week with a couple hundred developers and engineers participating. Um, and it was probably the strongest position of we could build anything. Instantly, within within the thirty minute presentation, we built an entire system that would have taken years to actually get right, and um, and the feedback was tremendous from everyone who attended. It's been insane what the feedback came back with. It's real. It's here. It's there's nothing we can't do, and the reason why I keep saying that, Peter, is because a lot of the technologist behavior we see, which is more negative, is um, I call it the five stages of innovation. I think you've heard of that before, right? Five stages of innovation. And then there's the innovation S-curve, as you know. And so I've created my own, which I'm going to soon write about and publish. But I think the five stages of innovation are, you know, number one is there's a tactic of denial. It can't exist. I've heard it before. It doesn't exist. Even though it's right in front of me, it can't exist. You know, number two is let's, you know, crush it through the POCs. Let's have them do endless proof of concepts to show us what they can do in a spinless cycle with no end in sight and keep them there while we continue coding and building what we're doing today because that's how our performance and bonus is based. And we never that never stops us. We could deliver a PLC in two hours. And then we get through it. And number three is proof of value, which is the business comes back and says, we love it. Show us how you could build us a trading platform from scratch. And in one example, we built in three days for a bank what took them 96,000 days of developer work, three to 96,000. So that was the ratio that was published and so on. And after we get through proof of value, there's no stopping us at this point. And the technologists, the, the ones that are not high caliber technologists will basically see there's no stopping us. And they'll basically say, this is awesome. Let's use it as a survey tool, even though we just built a trading platform. So I'm really hoping through this pandemic and the crisis, we come out of this as a new healthy respect that technology needs to have a seat at the table, lead the table. But technologists need to step up their game to say, are we delivering value or are we just here to get a paycheck? Well, Gary Hoberman, what, what a remarkable story. Congratulations on your progress so far. Uh, thank you so much for the overview of no code uh, to begin with, of its application through Uncork, of your career journey, as remarkable as it's been. And and I uh, wish you great success. Thank you so much for your time today. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Peter. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Monday when my guest will be Clay Johnson, the Chief Digital Officer and Chief Technology Officer of Yum Brands.